explain your love for pork and cheap beer, but let's have your story. Let's hear about you first and then let's talk pork and beer. Totally. I love talking about pork and beer. So. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. My guest today is Sarah Monson. Sarah, thanks for being on the show. Really looking forward to chatting with you. I got to just tell you, I, I saw you, I saw you, but I saw an article about you in the Seattle Times and it mm-hmm. read, you have a love for two things, pork and cheap beer. At that point, I knew I had to talk to you. <laughs> so why don't you... Explain your love for pork and cheap beer, but let's have your story. What's your backstory? Let's hear about you first and then let's talk pork and beer. Totally. I love talking about pork and beer. So (laughs) this will be a lot of fun. Um, Like like you said, my name's Sarah. I'm 28 years old. I'm originally from San Luis Obispo, California. Um, I've been living in Seattle for the last seven, seven years now. What brought you? What brought you up from California? Um, I actually came up to go to culinary school. Oh, very um, cool. I had a I had a real interest in cooking and that was always something that I wanted to pursue. Um, wasn't really quite sure how to break into the restaurant industry or like what, you know, what that kind of looks like. So I visited Seattle um a few years prior with my brother and just kind of fell in love with it. Um and just decided, you know, I, I would love to get out of my hometown, go somewhere new and maybe, you know, pursue this cooking thing also. So moved up here, um, went to culinary school, and I've been working in the Seattle restaurant industry ever since. Very cool. So how was, how was culinary school? What was, it was an interesting what, experience. <laughs> oh, yeah? Why do you, okay. There must be a story. Let's Let's hear your interesting experience. Totally. I mean, once you get into the restaurant industry, most... Other cooks will tell you that going to culinary school is a huge waste of time. Um, I I get it. it, time and money, because you know most of what they say is that you could just you know weasel your way into any restaurant and just like learn on the job. Um, you know, it's a great profession for that reason is that you learn so much while you're working, and you don't necessarily need to pay for an education when you could get paid to you know be educating what? yourself. Um, so I didn't really know that. And so I took the culinary school route and it was, uh, I went to Seattle Culinary Academy. Um, it's located, uh, out of the community college, um, on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took like two years and you're with these cohort basically of people. It's the same folks taking the same classes at the same time. Um, so you're all in it together for the entire time that you are in school, which is uh, fun and interesting. You kind of like build a little family that way. And, um, you know, I did learn a lot and it was a super fun experience. But I think for the most part, uh, the best thing that came out of it was networking and the people that I met um, while I was there and the friendship I was able to maintain over the years, because a lot of them are still people that I talk to and whose restaurants I still support and you know, one of the girls in my culinary class is my current roommate. <laughs> like, so yeah, we, you know, a lot of fun connections made there and definitely uh, actually helped me put this project together. So two questions about culinary school. Sure. What was your favorite 
I'll call it a class. It might not be the right word, but what was your favorite topic that you thought was the most fun to learn about? And the flip side to that was what was your least favorite while you were going there? <laughs> um, I don't know. That That's kind of a tough question. I, I really enjoyed uh, Chef Sarah Wong. She's incredible. Um, was one of my instructors and she talked a lot about like fermentation and preservation and those types of processes. And I always thought that was really fascinating. Um, okay. So once you like progress far, far enough into culinary school, I guess um, they start teaching you some more like fun, interesting things instead of just like how to cut an onion really well. Um, <laughs> so, so that was an interesting process and it's definitely something that I've taken into restaurants and, you know, tried to learn more about and, you know, learning about butchery was a lot of fun. Breaking down whole animals is always an interesting task to me and, and something I've enjoyed doing over the years. Um, my least favorite part. I don't know. Cause I know people that I went to, I, went to <laughs> I, I am the worst at cutting onions. I've been cooking for years and I still weep like a baby every time, <laughs> but I don't know if I want to say a least favorite part. I have a feeling that some people I know might be listening to this. So. Oh, okay. Well, we're not trying to put you on the spot. I was just overall, I had a ton of fun and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience for what it was. And I'm happy to have met the people that I met along the way. So what was your first uh, restaurant job then after, after school? Uh, I was working uh, while I was going to school. Um, okay. So actually, I would say that was my least favorite part. I've never been more tired in my life than when I was going to culinary school and working in a restaurant at the same time. Okay. Um, in my, I think it was my third quarter, I got a job at a restaurant called Tilth. Um, it's a Maria Hines restaurant. It actually is now closed. It closed down over the pandemic, which was kind of a bummer. Um, definitely, you know, cut my teeth there and met a lot of people. And that was the first kind of like nice restaurant that I, that I worked at, um, when I was still just like an absolute amateur and I had no idea what I was doing and I would go home and cry and <laughs> you know, walk into brunch with a brick in my stomach because I was so terrified of cooking eggs. Like it's, you know. Well, okay. So, so why were you terrified of cooking? Egg? I mean, I'm terrified of cooking period. So I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, so none of this is like, you know, why, but why? What well, first was about of, I mean, eggs are hard. Eggs are probably on a, on a large scale. One of the most difficult things that you can cook, they take finesse. You can break them. People are particular about them. And when you're serving a bunch of brunch food, it's just like a pretty daunting task if you're an amateur cook. And I was just, you know, still in culinary school, still didn't have like a a grasp on cooking for people for a living. And, you know, it was terrifying, but exciting and fun and awful, you know, like going to going to school and having a job in any at any capacity is a, is a tough thing to do going to school for cooking and having a job that is cooking and spending so much time in a kitchen is definitely an exhausting uh, experience, but definitely helped made me be the cook I am today. Awesome. So from there, so what little I know, I don't know if you can, I can't tell how much of my backdrop you can see, but over off my shoulder is. Oh, there he is. And uh, I actually, my story with him is I actually, um, yeah, about 10, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and he, for those of you that can't see anything, cause this is just audio is in Tony Bourdain. Um, I actually got to chauffeur him 
from Portland to Seattle. So he was doing a, he and Mario Batali were doing a, a presentation at, at the uh, Seattle Paramount theater. Cool. And so he had been down in Portland and this company I was working for because they were affiliated with the Seattle theater group. They said, Scott, we need you to go get Tony Bourdain down in Portland and drive him to Seattle. That was pretty cool. That and, is very uh, cool. So my daughter, I think was 13 or 14 at the time. And she was at, she still is absolutely over the moon about this guy. Right. And I'd read his books and watched some of his shows and that. And, uh, so I'm driving him up and I'm trying to, she's like, dad, please just, just get an autograph. That's, you know, she's begging me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're not supposed to talk, you know, you know he doesn't want to, who the hell am I? He doesn't want to listen to me. Right. So, but we're talking, it's a long drive. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, I was talking to him and he goes, well, I'll just talk to her. I'll call her right now. So I, I call, you know, Hey, Kenzie. And she's freaking out, which is great. It was awesome. And uh, he ended up, giving us two tickets to the event that night. And so here's my daughter on after in the after hours party on the stage at the Paramount theater, talking to Tony Bourdain and she's not to uh, still probably the best day of her life. And she's married and has two kids. I still think that's (laughs) probably the best day of her life. Definitely. And, but he, but not ever really working in restaurants. What little I think I know about the industry is from watching him. And I don't know that that's accurate. I think maybe some of it's romanticized and some of it's, you know, I don't, have you ever read his cook's tour? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've read a few of these things. Um, you know, there definitely is a lot of romanticization <laughs> Right. almost got there um, of kitchen <laughs> life and restaurant industry in general. Um, but I think that, Bourdain definitely gets it right most of the time. Um, Cause you know, you're standing on your feet, you're working in a noisy, hot environment. You're working with, you're working with pressure. Mm-hmm. Got to get, you know, you're just saying about brunch with eggs and all of that. And, you know, so for you, why is this, uh, and I'll put a word in your mouth and, and I may be putting the wrong word in your mouth, but why, why is this magical for you? Why is this a career that you, you want That's what perfect. is it, what it about is it? so magical <laughs> okay well, so is what so is magical. it what, from your point what is i, I want to hear this there there are so many reasons there's so many reasons i think that i am super passionate about this like i love food number one like i love food i love learning about food i love to eat food i love to eat food with people i love you know everything about cooking and food just fascinates me um And I feel like, you know, that fascination definitely grew and grew and grew when I was in culinary school and then going out into restaurants and being able to cook for people, I think is the coolest thing ever. Like I'm, I, cooking is my favorite thing to do. And I'm so happy that I get to do my favorite thing, um, every single day for a living. Like that's crazy. Not a lot of people can say that about their career or their profession. Um, so it's, it's definitely really fun going and doing what you're passionate about on a daily basis. Um, and you know, like you were saying, kitchens are sweaty, they're hot, they're fast paced. It's a lot of work. Um, you're on your feet, your body hurts. Uh, it's, it's definitely a physically and mentally exhausting profession, but there's something about that. That's just exhilarating to me. Like when you're just getting your ass kicked in the middle of service and you know, you you don't think that you can find a way out of the pile of tickets that are in front of you and 
you know, it's just like a puzzle piece and you keep your head down and you, you just, you just keep going and you keep cooking and there's no better feeling after service, like knowing that you just made a bunch of food for a bunch of people and like you did it well and, you know, executed what it is that you're like trained to do. It's just, it's a ton of fun. Plus the people in the restaurant industry are some of the best folks you will ever meet. It just, your restaurant becomes your family and, you know, everybody that I've met in the restaurant industry has influenced me in some way. And they're just the best folks out there. They really are. Maybe that's a good jumping off point. So you've, as of the time of this recording, have published two cookbooks. Correct. About, well, and I'm going to quote the, the cookbook, Seattle restaurant industry's guide to quarantine cooking. Right. So when, when the world shut down, restaurants closed, your family was gone. You weren't showing up for brunch. You, you didn't get to cook eggs anymore, at least not, <laughs> not, not publicly, right? Well, it was far so, past cooking eggs. Yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like, not. you know, the whole, the whole world just shut down. And yeah. So what was your, what was your inspiration to do the cookbook? I mean, what, how did you come about that? Well, you know, all of the restaurants shutting down at the same time was an incredibly difficult experience for, uh, for everybody. And I, I live in a house, uh, with a couple other people and everybody that I live with is a restaurant person. Um, we had a GM from Ray's, uh, one of my other roommates was serving at Westward. Um, my roommate Kayla is a sous chef over at Solare, like just rest house full of restaurant folks. Um, and we all lost our jobs at the same time. Right. And I, that's, you know, kind of a scary and uncertain experience. And um, none of us knew what was going to happen to the industry on the other side of it, uh, of the side of this. And we were all unemployed and sitting at home and just, you know, trying to stay calm, I guess, but still trying to like, decide like what's going to happen what are we going to do like how what how is this going to pan out and um all of that uncertainty and all of that stress and and bringing home food from the restaurants that had closed because they were just going to rot in the walk-in if nobody ate it because all of a sudden all the restaurants were ghost towns um we were cooking at home a lot and i think it we were cooking a lot for something to do just like Mm -hmm. And you know, an activity and we're all good at it. So, you know, cook something all day long and you get to sit down with your friends and eat it for dinner. And, you know, it's always kind of fun, but cooking a lot, um, trying to keep our heads above water as far as mentally, you know, it was tough. We were all having a, having a tough time with the uncertainty, having a tough time with what was going on along with everybody else. Um, but yeah, I started writing the recipes I was making at home down in a notebook, which is a pretty common practice for uh, cooks to do. We always have like a little pocket-sized moleskin notebook in our back pockets. And whenever we need to have a recipe for later, you just kind of scrawl it down, scribble it out. Um, so I was kind of like keeping up that practice while I was at home because it was familiar to me. Um, so there's that sense of familiarity, that kind of routine thing. And when everything routine has gone completely out the window, um, so, you know, started just writing everything down and 
I was just sitting on my porch one day and I was like, man, it would be cool if, you know, any of my cook friends were kind of doing the same thing. Like you're so used to the community and seeing these people every day and it's such a social industry and all of a sudden you can't see each other, dine with each other, or cook with each other. And, you know, it's, it's lonely and isolating. And I, I think I was looking for maybe a way to bring back a sense of community, um, just see what my friends are cooking, see what they were doing. And I put out a call to uh, have them send me some recipes. The original ver- or the original idea was to have it be just like a super DIY print off my home printer, stapled together kind of like zine style, uh, you know, pamphlet. And um, it, you know, really gained a lot of like grassroots traction, like super word of mouth. I was just like cold DMing people on Instagram, like, hey, I know you cook. like. What 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 you being cooking? What are you doing? Um, so, you know, I just got a pretty decent flood of people dropping handwritten recipes off at my place or mailing them to me, or um, you know, kind of socially distanced collection of handwritten recipes that I um, scanned and made into a into a book, and you know, people seemed to like it. Sold a couple hundred copies. Um, super cool really fun project and then you did volume two and then i did volume two i was crazy enough to do volume two volume one was an absolute blast i had a ton of fun doing it um it definitely i feel like brought people helped bring people together during a time when like we couldn't be together and i was like you know what that was a lot of fun and i think i'm ready to do it again and after we were all like heading back to work and getting back into kitchens and restaurants again, I was like, this would be a kind of fun project now that everybody's like cooking and we can potentially see each other. And, you know, I've, I've made all of these networks from doing it the first time. So why not do a second round? And it was even bigger, but than before with, you know, tons of different restaurants um, and chefs and bakers and bartenders participating. And it's just turned into this really cool, piece of restaurant industry memorabilia with the recipes i i think i know the answer but i'll ask did you (laughs) did you try all the recipes did you try to prepare them all before you put them in the cookbook oh no way i've gotten that question that's what Um, i thought you'd say (laughs) i've gotten that question a few times i there are a bunch of things in there that i would like to try and i would like to cook um there are things that i have eaten um but you know i think it was more about bringing everybody together than like recipe testing and making sure that these are like you know spot on recipes perfect you know i think that it was more fun just to have everybody put something cool in and like you know people can tinker around with it right and okay that's that's what i thought you were gonna say because it just would be overwhelming it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot so I'm going to, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit because I want to talk about this pork and beer thing now because totally. I've, I've got the recipe up in front of me and, mm-hmm. and I have to ask because I'm kind of a literal person. Totally. So it says here, Rainier's to cover mm-hmm. five to six in parentheses, five to six cans, 
plus more for drinking. I, I need to know specifically <laughs> on the more for drinking part. That's a little vague for me. What are you What are you talking about here? That's because I think that's key to the recipe. Totally, absolutely. You know, I I understand. <laughs> I think that's as many as you feel in your heart. You know, it's okay. just. <laughs> this is where you can experiment that's and make, exactly. make the recipe your own. That's where you can play around, make the recipe your own. Um, I think you just like go with, go with go with your gut, feel it out. Go with your gut, yeah. <laughs> so have you ever? So I I grew up here, and obviously, but if you look at me and you look at you, we're dirt. There's an age difference here. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> even even back in the day when I could drink beer, because it just doesn't agree with me anymore. It's really very sad. But I didn't drink Rainier. I just didn't care for it personally. That's my personal. I was kind of an Olympia fan. Of, oh, okay. You know, yeah. Really cheap beers. But why is there a reason why you picked Rainier? Is, is it is it just because it's what you had in the house that day, or you know, I I'm not from here. Um, like I said, I'm from California, right. and so you know that's not anything that like would have been in, like ingrained in me to drink. I guess because um, right. they don't they don't have that down there. But I moved up here and tried it for the first time and i was like this is perfect swilling beer like i could drink like six of these <laughs> swilling beer <laughs> that's, what that's, my dad, that's what my dad would call it um, but yeah i i just like immediately took a liking to it um i okay. don't i don't i don't know what that's all about and then it just became my kind of like regular bar order like you go in i get a rainier and a shot of something and um, so what, okay a shot of what what are you pairing with it I like to pair my ice cold Rainiers <laughs> with a uh, a shot of Espolón Blanco tequila. I'm a okay. total tequila girl. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's my order. I I live that's right you. across okay. the street from the Big Mario's in Fremont, and uh, I actually work there and selling pizzas once a week. But uh, lived here for a couple years. Definitely befriended the bartenders over the time, and they like look at me weird if I order. <laughs> Anything that isn't you order something else? A rainier and a shot of are you feeling okay? Are you okay? Are you, are you sick? <laughs> so let's go through. Why don't you? Can you walk us through your recipe and and how did you? Because I mean, this is what the Sale Times is talking about. This is you know they yeah, were yeah. talking to you about your recipe. How'd you come up? Well, what was the inspiration? How'd you come up with it? Walk us through the the prep and all of that of it. Oh yeah. Um, so like I was saying earlier, when, when all of our restaurants shut down, a lot of us took home the food that was in the walk-in so that somebody would eat it. Right. Um, and my housemate uh, at the time was working at Casco Antigua, which is a Mexican restaurant, and they had these huge pork shoulders in their walk-in. And he was like, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, I can figure out something to do with it. Like, bring it home. Let's see. And it just ended up being just like massive, like massive piece of pork. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, we got to eat. So like, I, I guess I'll cook this. Um, so I had this huge pork shoulder to deal with. I had a 24 case you know, of Rainier's in the fridge um, and just decided like, you know, tacos sound pretty good. So I, I did the recipe with tacos in mind that that being the end result is kind of like pulled pork taco type situation um 
or like little sliders, I think, you know, just something right. to snack on, something we could have for lunch, like something that I would keep for a, a little while and we'd all be full and happy. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, you know, just charred up a bunch of limes, charred some onions. It helps like keep that flavor really deep and delicious and you sear off a big old hunk of pork. I mean, obviously you can scale it down if you're cooking the recipe at home because it is quite an intimidating hunk of meat but um yeah it's a lot there's a lot of pork there <laughs> definitely serves a ton um but yeah it ends up being this just like super scrumptious pulled pork like multi-use kind of yummy yeah, thing. It sounds awesome yeah it sounds it sounds awesome have you tried it with other beers other than reindeer and uh, does if I, you have does it change it much I have not actually, um, okay. but I I would assume that it would probably be pretty good with Pacificos or any kind of like Mexican beer would be super tasty. Um, but you want to stay pretty like you, I wouldn't do this with like an IPA kind of kind of thing. Okay. Um, and I know that's pretty much all you can find in Seattle, but like keep it light, keep it <laughs> Pilsner's Lager is that kind of deal. Okay. All right. So volume two came out and it sold out. It did. Yeah. Now, I believe before we hit record, you are going to be doing a second run of this. I will be doing a second run of this. I haven't quite nailed it down with my printer yet. Um, I, I want to get all of the books that I have to ship shipped <laughs> before I order any more cases into my house. Um, gotcha. But I, I ordered 450 copies from the printer. Um, shout out to Walter Bantle at Now Impressions. He did an excellent job on the books. So awesome. huge thank you to him. Um, ordered 450 copies. They sold out, I think it was like nine, nine days. Um, wow. Yeah. So they, they went pretty quick. And um, I had the pop-up event at Rupee Bar so people could come and pick them up. And just got a lot of inquiries and people wanting to buy copies um, after they'd all been spoken for. So I was like, you know what, if people want this thing, like I'll print more. I'm, you know, more than happy to get more copies out there and, you know, sell them. So you, Rupee Bar, that's, you work there, correct? I do work at Rupee Bar. Yep. I know nothing about it other than I looked it up and <laughs> it was a, yeah, ooh, a little research, a little, very little. Um, James Beard for the interior. Yes, they did win a James I, Beard Award for the interior. It's pretty cool. I didn't know that James Beard awards were for interiors. And the, the space from the photographs I could see, it's a really cool looking space. Mm -hmm. The space is gorgeous. Um, they definitely did a great job with the dining room. If you're going to be in a sweaty kitchen for 10 hours a day, it's, you know, it's kind of nice if if it's a nice place to hang out. It definitely is a gorgeous restaurant space. They did a great so job. So how's not, not to put you on the spot, but how's the kitchen? Is it a, is it a, is it a good kitchen to work in as far as layout and all of that? Or uh, oh, yeah. funny, that's a funny question to me because uh, oh, okay. if if you've seen the inside of Rupee Bar, if you've ever been inside Rupee Bar, um, it is tiny, very very small restaurant space. I'm not entirely sure of the seating capacity. I think there's like six tables inside and a bar and it's a narrow little restaurant. So like really just like intimate and tight and close quarters and um, anyway, really small. So if you can imagine that the dining room is that small, 
kitchen must be the kitchen massive. is microscopic. It's an absolute shoebox. And oh. um going in and learning to cook in a kitchen that tiny is definitely an interesting uh interesting task. Every like everything goes up because like we have high ceilings. Um, right. so for if we're storing anything like pans or like dry goods or anything like that, it can't go out. And there's not a lot of wall space because the kitchen is just so small. Um, the the all of the racks and the shelves go go up, and so I'm constantly having to climb a ladder or a step stool or politely asking my coworkers if they can reach something for me. Like I'm only five foot three, so I am okay. always on my tippy toes. Um, that's definitely an interesting part of working at Rupee Bar is is dealing with how tiny the kitchen is. Um, but it's lots of fun. I love my coworkers, so I don't mind being crammed in there with them all day long. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the, cause like I said, I, I don't know anything about it other than the photographs I saw of the dining area. It's a really cool looking space. Yeah. Fun so what, sort of food, what, what sort of, what, what do you guys serve in there? What's the, um, they, like to call it Sri Lankan inspired cocktail food. Um, I guess it's really common in Sri Lanka to have these just like little bars you can just kind of duck into and and grab a drink and grab a little small plate to eat and, and be on your way. And it kind of is an homage to that, it being a tiny little hole in the wall in, in Ballard. And they serve incredible cocktails. Um, all the drinks on the menu are great and they just wanted to have like really yummy Sri Lankan inspired dishes to go along with the great cocktails. Um, so we're doing curries and vegetable dishes and we've got this incredible Kerala fried chicken on the menu and that's probably our best seller. It's essentially a chicken shack. We sell so much chicken. Um, but yeah, really quick, easy, you know, deeply flavorful, homey dishes and it's been a lot of fun cooking that kind of food. All right. Um, you mentioned their drinks are great. What, what give us an example of a, of a signature cocktail from there, if you will. There's actually Is it Rainier and tequila. Is it <laughs> um, we do usually have some Rainiers for the staff in the back fridge, which is nice of them to offer us. But um, I will say as a, as a plug, uh, there is a recipe from Rupee Bar in the cookbook volume two. Um, we make our own tonic. And so they, we do an Indian gin and tonic. Um, and my, one of the bartenders, Kevin, uh, wrote it down for me and we put it in the book. So, so it's in there if you wanted to check it out. It's gin really and tonic. Okay. delicious. Yeah. I've, 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 you're helping me dispel, I think some preconceived notions I have, <clears throat> but so you cook all day all or long. all evening, whatever, you know, whatever your shift is, right? Okay, mm -hmm. you're cooking. And you come home, you gotta eat. Right. Do you really want to cook? No. Or no? No. Okay. So <laughs> okay. So put you on the spot and ask you, like, what's a you know, are you what's the I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm just gonna grab something, you know, is it is it, you know, mac and is it craft mac and cheese or it is it is actually <laughs> Oh, is this? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's Kraft Mac and Cheese, huh? I love Blue Box Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. I get that it's fake and processed and disgusting. And 
I understand that there. I I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I feel like people would like. I get that it's not the best thing for you, but I eat an awful lot of the original blue box Kraft macaroni and cheese. Absolutely. Because you don't want to cook if you're, you know, you no, you no. Probably, After you've yeah. been in a kitchen for hours and hours all day long, the last thing I want to do is go home and cook anything or make a dish. Like I'm not, I don't want to, nothing like that. I don't want anything to do with it. So okay, but definitely, I'll put you on the spot a little more. Sure. So now you've been off for a couple of days and you want to cook mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. What's your? Do you have a go-to that you like to cook at home? Is there something? you like to yeah I, I mean i love to cook at home in general um i still live in my household full of folks who love to eat um right. so we try and plan dinners together as often as possible because uh it's just f- more fun to eat with more people um sure but i think some of our favorites um have been whole roasted fish over the past couple years i love going and getting like a branzino or a rainbow trout or something like that from a fish market, buying a couple of them, depending on how many people are eating with us and, you know, searing them off real hard on one side in a cast iron pan, turning it over and popping it in the oven with like some lemon and rosemary and salt. It's just the perfect food to me. Hey, that's actually sounds quite, quite amazing. It is quite good. How about when you go out? Are there places in Seattle that you... Like coffee, coffee. Yes. Yes. As it yes, should coffee, be. When you live yes. in Seattle, you have to drink coffee. Yeah, I think it's that's required. You, definitely. I think when you move to the city limits, I think there was a form that says, yes, I'll drink coffee. You know, <laughs> have to carry it with you if you're from out of state, but okay. Mm-hmm. And all serious, all kidding aside, coffee, where do you, first off, what type of coffee beverage do you like? I, and where's a great place? I have a couple different coffee preferences. Um, I'm either somebody who wants to like enjoy a hot cup of coffee if I have the time to do so, or like I am honestly kind of a sucker for like a drive-through coffee, cold brew fix type situation. Like we don't really have drive-through coffee shops in California and mm-hmm. that has been one of the what? coolest. No, not really. It's not super, what? super prevalent, but that's been one of the coolest things up here. Is like I like to I drink coffee all day long and right in the middle of the day I can be like, you know what, I'm out running errands. I'm gonna go, you know, drive through and get a cup of coffee. But as, as far as like good coffee and places that I think um, are really excellent coffee shops, I really like Analog um up on Capitol Hill. It's an excellent little coffee shop. Um Venture, Venture Coffee in Ballard, it's right down the street from Ruby Bar. So mm-hmm. super easy to pop in and, and get something delicious on the way to work and they've got great great coffee too so both of oh, those places yeah. i would say are my faves yeah seattle's got some some outstanding choices yeah it's hard to find a bad cup of coffee in seattle totally. you can like denny's right um but you know if anybody <laughs> that sells coffee into their coffee shop their coffee is probably gonna probably be, be pretty good pretty darn good you might not like how they roast it you might prefer something else but you probably aren't going to complain about the this, you might just go, yeah, it's not my favorite, but you're not going to say it's bad type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> for when you go out and grab something to eat, where's a where's a great place to just go and like grab a sandwich or something, keeping with the drive through to go thing, like with coffee. But is there is there some informal place that you think is kind of fun and off the you know that you go 
for a good sandwich. You know, I'm actually I'm wearing their t-shirt right now. I know that this is like an audio thing, but um okay. Layers, Layers Sandwich Co. is probably my favorite sandwich in the city. Um, they make these incredible, kind of like fancier leaning um sandwiches and they're always just like perfectly balanced and the perfect bites and they're run by two of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Um Ashley and Avery, and they are just wonderful folks who are putting out an incredible, consistent product. Um, they go to a lot of breweries. I think they do Fair Isle. I know they do Urban, Urban Family. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of like bopping around the city, parking in front of different breweries, and and slanging sandwiches. And oh, so, they're a food truck. They're a food truck. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and they post they post their schedule of where they're going to be on their Instagram every week. Um, so you'll know where to find them, but, uh, I will say there's usually a line. <laughs> I know so you're asking your... off the beaten path, but they, that's okay. Yeah. So when you grab a sandwich there, what are you grabbing? What, what do you tend to like? Oh, they do this, this one with pork belly and like pepper jam, pepper jelly. And it's called the precocious piggy. It is like their signature oh. sandwich and it is a sandwich that will change your life. And I know that you probably hear people say things like that all the time, but I'm serious. I think about that sandwich. I, I crave, <laughs> like I, it is on my mind. It is, it just is a delicious treat. Um, so I would highly recommend if you can find some time to wait in line and wait for a sandwich, it's definitely, you know, worth, worth it. It's so, worth so good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, what else? It helped me out, you know, because we moved. So I lived in Seattle many years ago and moved over here to central Washington now. And I'm living vicariously through everybody gets to eat in Seattle versus my limited choices where I live. So, you know, it's a trade off. What other places are doing some really cool things? Really cool things. I mean, I, that you think are really cool. Like to you, like you're like, this is cool. I like this idea. Totally. You know, um, my, my favorite thing about the Seattle cooking scene i guess right now is all of the pop-ups that are happening i think Mm -hmm. that because of the pandemic and people being out of jobs like they just decided like you know what i'm if i can't work in a restaurant i'm just gonna figure out a hustle on my own um so it's been cool seeing all of these people creating their own products and doing their own thing and doing really really well and um you know doing these pop-up restaurants out of out of real restaurants i guess you you could say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been a really cool concept and a really fun, fun, po- positive thing to come out of the pandemic is that you're getting to see all of these cooks in Seattle that aren't your, you know, Ethan Stoles and Renee Erickson's and people, you know, these big name chefs that like have a ton of places. Like these are just the line cooks that work for those companies. And they're just right. like getting to show off and, and, you know, get, make a name for themselves independently from the restaurants that they're working just for doing really cool stuff. Um, so places like uh, my buddy, John and his partner, Janet's Pancita is doing incredible Mexican food. Um, they've got a tostada pop-up coming up on the eighth. Um, they're making incredible stuff. You know, gorilla pizza kitchen is making great pizza popping up all over the place. Um, yeah, there's a lot of folks out there doing some really cool, interesting things. And I think it's cool to support, you know, your, your local wine cooks. No, I think it's great. Do you think that that trend is going to continue once we get back, you know, 
right now because restaurants are at what are they still at fifty percent capacity or they- restaurants are still at fifty capacity fifty percent capacity I think until June thirtieth is when they're trying to open everything up to one hundred percent. Right. So, but do you think this this pop up trend will continue once we get back to full capacity? Do you think, it, like for example, are these line cooks realizing that I can do this, you know, and I, you know, I can go do my own thing, and the the community's excited to receive it? Do you, so? Do you see that? Can, in your opinion, do you see it continuing? I. I really hope so. <laughs> I really okay. hope so. Um, I think it's easy right now because a lot of restaurants are closed a few days a week. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you close Monday, Tuesdays or, or whatever. Um, so it's easy to have uh, folks come in and do their little pop-up restaurants out of restaurant spaces that aren't functioning for maybe a day or two. Right. Um, so once things start to like ramp back up and go to full capacity, I don't, I don't know how, how easy it's going to be to find places to do that kind of thing. Um, but I think that you, you touched on it definitely that these line cooks are realizing like, this isn't so out of, out of reach to be able to do. Um, and so I'm hoping that, you know, people continue on with, with the trend. I think it's really cool. I think the public has been really receptive to supporting hospitality workers and, um, it's just been cool to see people be successful, like doing their own thing. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's, it's really exciting that people try, you know, it's a low, low risk way of, of trying a concept and seeing if, if how it's received versus signing a multi-year lease on a space in a city whose rent is exhaustive. Really? I mean, it's just, you know, rent in Seattle is just it's so prohibitive to do things. So, and it's great for, I think the restaurants that are not, if they're closed on Mondays or Tuesdays then they can get a little bit of you know, extra revenue by, opening up that kitchen. Absolutely. I did see, is it Guy Fieri's got his, uh, there's a ghost kitchen somewhere in Seattle. Oh that's, gosh, doing Guy Fieri food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that there's something <laughs> to be said about, you know, celebrity chefs and Guy Fieri definitely, you know, he's a philanthropist and he, you know, is donates to a lot of good causes and definitely like uses his money to help out and stuff. But, God, I wish that like big name chefs like that would just stop. Like we're like trying so hard as a restaurant industry to like pick our, like pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. And like, you know, so many restaurants have closed and have not been so fortunate over the course of the pandemic to, you know, be successful and be pulling in enough money to, to stay open. And, you know, I, I definitely advocate for like supporting lo- small businesses, supporting local chefs, local restaurants, trying to spend your money and your dollar there as much as possible because of how tough this year has been on the industry as a whole. So it's kind of disappointing when like big name chefs like that come in because, you know, everybody's just going to go flock and do that thing because it's, you know, the cool like viral thing to do, but, you know, which is fine to each their own, but I don't know. But at the same time, I, same I, I time, agree with yeah. you. And, and, that's the, and that's the whole thing about our show is like we like to talk to people that are doing cool things that aren't necessarily a, a, a major household name. You know, I mean, sure. not, that, not that a major household name isn't doing cool things, but let's talk. Let's, let's talk to you. Let's talk about your cookbook. Let's talk about all these things that are going on. And if you know, we can get a couple of people to go try a restaurant, that's a good thing. Absolutely. As far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're not cooking and you're not eating blue box macaroni and cheese, <laughs> what do you do for fun and R and R? Fun and R and R. Um, 
you know, I just like to hang out with my friends. Everybody says that, but, <laughs> but I've, got oh, a, so I've got a pretty cool backyard and I've got some really great buddies that I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live with. And, um, we just all like to spend time together. We have movie nights in the backyard and we've got a trampoline and a picnic table and a fire pit. And it's just, you know, the perfect place to just that's, that's relax, and, you know, hang out at home. Are you into, into music at all? Did you, did you, before pandemic, did you go out and see any acts in Seattle? Yeah, that was probably one of the sadder parts about the pandemic is not being able to go see live music and that kind of thing. Um, definitely was seeing a lot of shows at the show box and, you know, trying to get out and see live music as much as possible, but I can't even remember what the last act was that I got to see that was so long ago. So in the last at the time, so I saw a band last night mm-hmm. live at a winery in, in Quincy. So, and then Thursday night I saw another band live at a cider place in Puyallup. So, so it was the, so in a week I've seen live music for the first time in over a year. That's so exciting. And it, I think the musicians were happier than the audience totally. because they got to play live and it was really, really cool. Nice. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that coming back mm-hmm. and I'm hoping, cause I love the idea for me personally. I love the idea of, of, uh, pairing music and food together, like in having, having interesting, great food or not necessarily great food, but you know, cool, cool taco things, a good truck that does good food with a live act. There was a, where we went on Thursday, there was a wood fired pizza place. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. I, I love to see the the combination of those. And I hope that that comes back. Right. Yeah. That's, it's going to be a lot of fun once we can all start, you know, getting together and hanging out and doing fun stuff again. Did you, did I hear correctly? Did you say one day a week you sling pizza? I do on Mondays. Um, I make pizzas. It's true. And where? Uh, where at Big place? Mario's Pizza in Fremont. There's a couple locations and I just work at the okay. one near my house. Put you on the spot. What's your favorite Big Mario's Pizza? Oh, definitely this Spicoli. I know that's like probably everybody's answer because it's their like, you know, signature kind of pie or whatever. Right. Uh, but it's pepperoni and pineapple and jalapenos. And it's perfect and it's delicious. And you get it with a side of ranch. And like, I know this is kind of weird, but when I go there and I get a slice, I usually get it cold. Because, you, you know, they heat them up to order if you get it get it by right, the slice. Right. And like a lot of people. I'm looking at you weird. Like, I know, cold? What? I know, what? I know. <laughs> Judging me more for that than you did for the <laughs> mac and cheese. Not but at all. I, no, I I'm like not judging cold. you at all. Because <laughs> so I, I interrupted you. Go on. You, you get the slice cold. Yeah, get the slice cold. You get a side of ranch. You get your shot in a beer. And that's just like, you know, that's good after after shift like before I go home kind of food. That's what so you you're have. telling me because cold pizzas, cold pizza can be amazing. I am not judging you. Right. You're saying that their pizza is good cold. I think it's excellent cold. I eat it cold all the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, there's some pizza places that it, it doesn't do cold and not that they should, they shouldn't have to like, like here, take half your pie home and it'll be fine. Cold the next day It said no pizza place ever. <laughs> right. But you know, I've always used to like, you know, it was kind of something fun about getting up and typically I was feeling a little groggy and, you know, having cold pizza in the fridge was somehow comforting to me. 
It is. But, yeah, definitely. It's a comfort so food. I love cold pizza. I'm not judging you at all. I was looking at you like, really? What? Though? Go, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cold, um, cold slice. Definitely. Okay. Um, what other, what other, I've never eaten there. So what other, what other, and I'll be honest with you. I don't like pineapple on a pizza. I know that's, that's a point of contention for some people. Oh I no. Just don't. Sorry. My mom's calling me. They're calling. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Everything's fine. <laughs> just kind of startled um, me. <laughs> so what besides, so how about giving me another choice without pineapple on it? Um, you know, they just make a great pie. Great pepperoni slice, great oh. cheese slice. Um, they've got like a bunch of, you know, pre like predetermined like pies you can order off the menu. Um, but right. I feel like you know just going for a slice and it's a perfect slice. I think it's the best slice in the city. I'm not just saying that because I because <laughs> I work there, but there are a ton of places on in Mondays. Seattle. It's the best slice. In the yeah, city. That's Mondays, what you just on said. Mondays Later. from noon to five, it is the best slice <laughs> in the city. Um, there are a bunch of places in Seattle where you can get a slice of pizza, and I've always thought Mario's was like top tier. It's, it's tasty, okay. tasty as hell. Okay, I just can't do the pineapple. Sorry, <laughs> I can't get past it. I don't know, and I like pineapple. Huh? It's not that I don't like pineapple. I just that's for me. Not that it matters, but it's like maybe the one topping on a pizza that I I don't like. I mean, you can put just anything else on a pizza and I'll be like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Let's go. Pineapple uh, just somehow it just doesn't work. It's just I don't know the why. perfect like salty pepperoni, spicy jalapeno, the like the sweet pineapple and it all comes together and I just think it's great. I get it. Like fruit on a pizza. Logically you're right. <laughs> I, I, I mean I can't argue with your you've just described a great set of flavors. Right. I get it though. You know, I, I understand it's an odd concept and I definitely have people that think I'm absolutely wrong for liking pineapple on pizza, but it's just good. Well, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I, it's just not for me. Totally. I, mean, I actually kind of like the idea of a cold slice. I mean, that's kind of, is that something, is that off the menu you have to ask for that? Or? Well, I mean, you know, usually when you show up and you order a slice of whatever they have in the window, they just pop it in the oven. Um, but yeah, if you ask them not to heat it up, they won't. And you know, I, well, even when I'm working, like it's not the most uncommon thing people ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just me. <laughs> not just you. No, it's I, not no, just no, me. No one, no one said it was. No, <laughs> not picking on you. So, where let's let's since you know since your mom called, you should probably call her back. Right. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. You know, um, but where else can people find you online and keep track of what you're doing? Because you've got some stuff. You know, you 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 show stuff online and. So why don't you tell them? Yeah. Um, for pretty much all cookbook related news, I, I've done it all via my Instagram. It's the easiest way for me to keep everything in one place and, um, you know, make announcements and advertise it that way. Um, so my handle is my first initial and my last name. So it's Monson, S-M-O-N-S-O-N. And that's where I'm most active on social media. And I post a lot of the food that I cook at home and the food that I cook for restaurants and updates about what's going on with uh, volumes of the cookbook, that kind of thing. Plus like shenanigans and shenanigans, what have you. Yeah. And cold slices of pie. And cold slices of pie. Beers Perfect. and that kind awesome. of thing. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really am grateful that you spent some time with me to record this today. Oh yeah. Thank and you so much I for having me. I appreciate it. And we will... 
we will catch up soon. Totally. Thanks so much. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. 